704. Uh, here we go, boys. It's time for Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. Mike and Sean here as well. Mike Balsamo, Sean LaGrega. Huge show on tap for you tonight. So much to get to. Honda Classics in the books. We'll talk about Justin Thomas. This guy, pretty darn good golfer. I can't wait to hear Iris' take on everything that happened at PGA National Resort and Spa over the weekend. Curtis Williams, celebrity trainer, also former Maryland defensive back standout. Stints with the Ravens and Jets. He's going to pop in to talk about the Combine because I heard the Combine is one of those things I don't think any of us lay fans really know what's going on at the Combine and what they're looking for. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's on TV. It used to be they didn't even broadcast it. It was such a weird seeing it on TV, right? <laughs> but now it's become, and it's the difference between, you can see with these players, they're going to either be a fifth round draft choice or a second round draft choice, and everything depends on the combine. And I think Curtis is going to give some good insight into what the players do to get ready for those combines. Uh, definitely looking forward to that about 7.20. Then 7.40, our good buddy Mike Isolino, former NBA player, current coach at Robert Morris, also... NBA Jam famous. He's pumping in to talk a, talk a little bit of college hoops because it, it's just a little ridiculous right now. And Ira's got some inside track stories on this that we're going to hear about what these scandals are happening in the NCAA. But Ira, usually we start the show with, where have you been? I know where you were. So I'm going to say, where's your head at? Because this guy has more Duke gear on right now than anybody. Do you want me to turn my monitor so you can watch the game on my computer while we do the show? No, that's okay. But I was certainly at the Honda Classic. And on... March of 2nd, 2014, a couple years ago, (laughs) that's a Sunday. It was like 90 degrees. Mm -hmm. I'm at the Honda Classic walking the course with my mom. And so as we're walking, she's not doing well. And Tiger's not doing well because we're following him. (laughs) And he shot a 40 on the front nine. Ooh, I remember that. He is limping through the course. Harley uh, can't even walk. He needed crutches almost to get around the course. My mom said to me, I can't go any further. I have to stop. And I'm like, it's only you have to walk back on 13. You can finish 13 and just walk to the end. And then he goes, I go, if Tiger quits, you quit. So my mom went ahead of the hole to go to the bathroom on 13, came back out. Tiger was putting on the green. I was taking some pictures. I wasn't taking pictures, but I was behind it. Next thing I know, Tiger goes over to my mother. Looks like she's talking to my mom. And then he walks off the course and quits because on the bound 13, that's the back of the, of the, of the uh, golf course. And you can just leave from there. And then I realized when I walked over that, that's my mom was sitting next to Tiger Woods kids and his mom. Mm-hmm. And he walked oh, over okay. them and said, I'm tired and I can't go on anymore. And he walked, it's time to go home and he quit. And I think about what happened on Thursday, <laughs> I think about what happened on Thursday when on he, he started on the 10th hole, but mm. when he went to 13 and birdied 13, that was it when he's the confident, the difference, the style, the walking, the yeah. speed, everything. This is someone who looks healthy, ready, and is just, it was just awesome. I've now, I'm going to consider myself a Tiger expert. I did 144 holes in two weeks with him. That's impressive. So I really think that's like probably an all-time record. And I know that a lot of people I know were saying, you're following Raymond Floyd. He's over the hill. You're wasting your time. But I'm telling you, Tiger's back. Yes. He's winning yes. majors. He's winning tournaments. And everybody, either get on the bandwagon because there's probably no room on the bandwagon after this. We're going to talk a, a ton about this tonight. The Honda Classic, it was a very good one. 708, it's Ira on Sports 95.9, True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean. Shawnee the Greg is with us. Sean, how was your weekend? You taking a lot of uh, Honda? 
I watched some of it, but I was actually house shopping. So hopefully, I find out tonight if I if I get the house. So I'm, I'm kind of excited. So I didn't watch as much Honda as I wanted to. That's why I already <laughs> didn't hit you up for any tickets. But uh, but yeah. So uh, but but I did soak some of it in. Um, and and Tiger, I, I agree with Ira f- full heartedly. We talked about it before the show, Mike. Um, that first, you know. F- tournament that he's played healthy the conditions were you know not you know the friendliest a lot of water out there the guy finishes 11th I mean it, it, you can see Tiger coming around where he's going to be we hope that he's that guy again he looked to be that guy again this weekend we're going to talk some uh, somewhat about the crowds a little bit later there was some interesting stuff happened with Justin Thomas as well that's going to come up but first and foremost Ira imagine if he had made the cut at Riviera, you would have walked an extra 36 <laughs> holes on top of that 144. Um, so tell us about the atmosphere at the Honda. This is the first Honda Classic in eight years that I didn't attend. I have no idea what it was like, but it gets bigger every year. So tell us what was happening at PGA National Resort and Spa. Um, it was absolutely enormous. I mean, the Pro-Am was, was tremendous. I mean, Tiger teed off at 6.45 a.m., had thousands of people following him right there. And uh, he's a different Tiger. I mean, definitely is much more engaging with the crowd, talking to the people he was playing with. Um, I think a lot goes to Joe LaCava, his uh, caddy. Steve Williams was antagonistic. Yes. Steve Williams yes. looked at fans as the enemy. Mm-hmm. LaCava is getting in his bag, handing out gloves, dropping a ball here for somebody. He's friendly. He calms Tiger down. They're, they're, how they talk, it's wonderful. I think he's been a tremendous influence. I also think Tiger not having a coach. I've seen yeah. him walk the coach with, with the course with him with Sean Foley. Mm-hmm. Tiger doesn't need a coach. No. Yeah, Tiger knows that. more about golf than any person. Yeah. And you could see in the Pro-Am, he sat there on every hole and they're allowed to keep putting and everything. So he would get to a hole on the Pro-Am yeah. and the other golfers are hitting and then he would, he knew where the pin locations were probably going to be and he just practiced and read those greens. Yeah. And as I said, genius. And now you get Tiger with the physical ability plus now the mental, so bad, yeah. the intelligence, the smartest golfer of all time, yeah. and that's what's going to make do, him. Do you think, Ira, that the, the turning of the corner for Tiger 2 where you know he's, he's less... Um I don't know, antagonistic, I guess, towards the fans in terms of because he kind of was taken away from the game that he loved. You know, he became, you know, a social pariah. He he was hurt. And, and to finally, like, come back and be healthy and, and, and kind of be away from the game that he loved and, 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 you know, where fans worshipped him and then it was kind of all that backlash. Do you think now he's kind of coming around where it's like, hey, you know, I could have lost all this. And I want, I want to let my fans know how much I do truly appreciate them. On most golf courses, when someone tees off, there is probably where the, they think the ball is going to go in the middle of this par four, that people are standing a little around there. And there's people around the green. There's people around the tee box. That's for, like, the leaders. Mm-hmm. For Tiger, it is the whole way down the fairway. People have no shot of seeing him hit a ball, but they just want to be, and they're two, three, four, five deep. deep. It's yeah. amazing. I actually had, I take, I love taking pictures at this tournament and I had to make a major change <laughs> is that I could not on Friday follow him and I had to go to Walmart and buy a stool so I could stand on a stool <laughs> and take these pictures because you it was would, the crowd. Ira, that and is I'm such six, a good idea. <laughs> I'm 6'1 and I could not see. The crowds were so amazing. I've been to so, hundreds of golf rounds. I've never had a trouble seeing... Maybe a hold here, a hold there, but I couldn't see it hardly at all on Friday. That's how much those crowds were. And I'm thinking all those days he had in rehab, all alone, working out, working the surgeries, the four surgeries on his back, yeah. just to be able to walk down and just the emotion, the people screaming for him, uh, just tremendous. It was yeah. amazing. Uh, I, do you want to talk a little bit about one of the things that I love about the Honda is every time I go back, 
There's something new I've never seen before. Where did this tent come from? Or where did the, the Puma Club just popped up one year? Any new amenities we should check out? Where were you spending your time when you weren't following Tiger? I probably was just following Tiger the whole time. But there's more. <laughs> at, it seems like every hole now, what's great about it is there's more places for people to sit. I mean, for people who awesome. just want to go yeah. to a hole and stay at that hole, there are grandstands everywhere. And and you can go without spending in the Champions Club and spending money. There are f- so many sponsors from away. And Tito's, I don't want to mention every sponsor in the world, but they have great tents, yes. and it was a definitely an amazing party scene. You had already started to bring up um, being with Tiger. It's a little bit hectic. Do you want to talk about any issues that you experience? You know this better than anybody else. I don't have the cojones to try to walk with Tiger Woods. It, it's it's intimidating. How did everything go uh, for the four days? I think Pat and uh, Kazire, who who has won two tournaments on the year, and he certainly he admitted that he couldn't even hold his club <laughs> on the first hole. And he, you saw, I mean, he shot he shot a seventy eight and a seventy four and a seventy eight. Um, his problem is he's a slow golfer. If you're going to play with Tiger, you got to be fast because if you're if you have the honors and you're going to tee off first and you're waiting if you if you sit and wait you're going to wait for his crowd to come in and they're just going to keep coming yeah. so it's going to keep noisy so the best thing is that when you get to the to the tee box hit the ball and rip go. and rip it baby rip and rip and that's what Sam Burns did on Sunday mm. he was very he played super fast and if you don't have the honors and you're second so Tiger hits well after Tiger hits nobody cares what Patton does so they're all starting to walk and when you don't hit they're looking at you and they're like moving and shuffling and so he kept waiting for the crowd to quiet down it's not going to quiet down it's only getting louder and people started shouting at him and stuff and I think that's what affected him I mean he'll I think if Patton is ever paired with Tiger again he'll withdraw from the tournament he'll never play with <laughs> Tiger ever again <laughs> 714 it's Iron Sports 95.9 True Oldies Channel we want to hear about your Honda uh, Classic experiences 877-960-9960 877-960-9960 isn't it funny how Sam Burns kind of becomes an overnight uh, celebrity a little bit all the articles today are wanting to hear about Sam Burns' experiences yeah. with Tiger Woods. I thought that was really funny. It, it, it always happens. Ira, it's funny what you brought up about Rory McIlroy um, just last week about how he's intimidated playing with Tiger, the second biggest name golfer in the world. He's intimidated. Justin Thomas came out and said the same thing now today. Like, man, playing with this guy is very, very difficult. The crowds are just unbelievable, and you can feel the pressure of playing with Tiger Woods. And Justin Thomas is a phenom. I can't imagine how some of these other guys. Well, my summary was that my summary was this. I said is that it's like Tiger plays eighteen holes, eighteen home stadiums because everyone's <laughs> rooting for him. And and we, on the way to each stadium, there's a parade. So as he's walking down the fairway, the parade of people are supporting him, and he gets into another stadium. Every one of these other golfers, they're not used to this. They no. don't even play in stadiums like this. They don't know what having. They're usually playing with. At one point, the leaders, uh, Luke List, was playing, and someone said seventy five people were following him, whereas 7,500 people or 70, you know, were following Tiger. So mm. that's a huge advantage, I think, that Tiger has, that he almost is like playing. This is what he's done since he's been 21 years old. Yeah. He's been Tiger Woods, and they have it. I mean, they did an interview with Tiger after the tournament, and he's like, I sort of know how to do this. I mean, <laughs> remember, I haven't forgot everything. It, it, no, it, it's very funny. Yeah, he... He's a generational talent. He's that guy. You see the look in LeBron James's face. Michael Jordan made the same face. They're not like everybody else. No. They can completely just tone that stuff out. And the second biggest golfer in the world, Rory McIlroy, struggles with that. And that's the difference between a Tiger Woods and a Rory McIlroy. Um, any other comments on Tiger's game, Ira? Uh, you know, 
I think Sean was right. I didn't see him wincing. I didn't see him. He looked loose, Ira. So what did you think? Well, I, I heard a co- some comments where was, I can't believe how fast he walks. He was walking up. <laughs> I mean, people had trouble. When he was walking up the fairway, he was almost sprinting and running. Um, I thought... His only what I was shocked about was that on the holes like the the par fours he was in the fairway. I mean his stats were were much better than at Riviera. I yeah. mean where he hurt was plus eight on the bear trap. I mean and the bear trap is for people who don't know it's fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen designed by Jack Nicholas. The whole course is but that area and what's tricky about it is that it's a par three on fifteen over water and then on sixteen it's a par four over water mm-hmm. again and then you go to seventeen which is almost a semi island type green that sits yeah. out there and you seventeen is the famous hole because there's there's uh, stands on all sides. all sides. I think there's like 25, 30,000 fans sitting right mm-hmm. there on 17. Yeah. And Tiger, I felt that's where he was going to do phenomenal and he had trouble every single day yep. there and that's what really did him in. I, I knew on Sunday, I'm watching obviously the round and when he wasn't picking up birdie after birdie on the first 12 holes, it didn't bode well for me. I'm like, he's going to get into the bear trap and not be able to. <laughs> he, he didn't play, play it well all weekend. So, But on the third day, what's interesting, first of all, he wore an amazing pink shirt that everyone that loved. Shirt. Yeah, Shusha yeah. Gray was just... Everyone. Mike already went out and bought it. So. <laughs> like $200. But, but from, one, from holes one to seven, it seemed like he had a 10-foot putt on every hole and he just missed by an inch. He tapped in pars from one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and he birdied eight and, and nine. It was unbelievable how he did that. And I felt like that was... Was the day that he was going to be, you know, he was definitely... It was his best round, in my opinion. And, and, just and, looking at him. And I just, you know, he was just so close. And then even on the final day, though, he got to minus three and mm-hmm. on a nine, and the leaders were at six and seven, and you're like, ah, there might be a chance, there might be whatever. I was rooting for but it. But then he went to nine, where he had birdied the day before, and he two-putted that, and then, but he got a birdie on 14, but then on disaster on 15, hit the water, double bogey on yeah. 15, and on 16. And the... Understand, people were hitting in the water on the on the bear trap all day. They were breaking long. records. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, the first day after I watched Tiger, I went back and watched McElroy, Harrington, and uh, uh, McElroy, Harrington, and Scott, three mm-hmm. of the top golfers in the world. And on 15, 16, and 17, Scott double bogeys 15, triple bogey 17, McElroy double bogeys 18, and Harrington triple bogey 16. I mean, they were hitting balls <laughs> in the water two times in a hole. Sean LaGrega joins us as well here on Iron Sports. Sean, what, what's your takeaways from Tiger, uh, you know, Tiger's performance this weekend? Is he back? Well, yeah, no, I definitely think Tiger's fully back. I think one of, we talked, we, we brought him up, but I think my biggest takeaway is that Sam Burns is is going to be a kid that we're going to hear his name a lot. You know, you go back and, and, and we're, we're talking about, you know, playing with Tiger, how intimidating it is because of the, the fans. How about just being intimidated because you're standing next to Tiger Woods? Yeah. I mean, you could be playing just you and Tiger and, and you'd be shaking. Um, you know, I want to point out there was uh, something that Sam Burns had said. And, and by the way, this is the kid that won the Jack Nicholas Award for best player in, in, in college last year mm-hmm. um, at LSU. And, and they asked him, you know, what was it like? And he never met Tiger until he shook his hand, you know, and the, you know, in the tee that box. alone must be. Yeah, yeah. I can't he said, imagine. "I don't hardly remember hitting the first tee shot. I kind of blacked out. <laughs> I don't even remember feeling the club in my hands. It was like everything was numb. But thank gosh, that was the first time I hit the fairway all week. You know, so it's just <laughs> it's, it, it's just playing with that guy. You know, and, and then you have this kid. I mean, he's essentially you know fresh out of college. You know, he's wet behind the ears, and to go out and beat. I think he beat Tiger by what by two strokes uh, uh, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really impressive from a young kid. And um, I think he finished what." 
what, eighth? I, think, I know he was top 10. I think he finished uh, either seventh or eighth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my takeaway. Obviously, I, the Tiger hype is real. Um, he's back. I'm super excited. I love Tiger, my favorite golfer. Um, but I was really excited to see Sam Burns. And, you know, when we talk about all the fans, like I said, I, I think also, too, you got to give a lot of credit to, to this young guy for playing with a, a player the caliber of Tiger Woods, let alone the fans. I read they... A lot of caddies, and even like if you play PGA National Resort and Spa, sometimes they'll give you a caddy, or sometimes you know you're just talking to the people around the facility. All of them say, you know what, the bear trap's not that hard. They're like, nah, it's really not that hard. The bear trap's hard, and I don't <laughs> think I've seen uh, players play as poorly this four days than I've ever seen them play there. It's always really difficult, but it was just every grouping, two guys were going in the water. It was it was unbelievable. Well, the problem was is that. The wind, even though it's like yeah. a couple hundred yards at par three, the wind where you tee off is not the wind where the green is. Yeah, no. And so people were just mis I mean, they weren't going in the water by a little bit. They were no. like, they hit the ball and you're like, you're in the water. Yeah. I mean, that's what every it, single it, 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 second it left. They yeah. look like duffers that are plus 30 handicaps hitting it. Yeah. Many of those uh, holes. And, me and, Mike. <laughs> and, and I think that's what made it so difficult in terms of understanding. And you're like, Tiger was there. And then the, the times he do, he bogeyed, had those two bogeys. He got so nervous. He went over 15 and over 16 trying to then come back. And then he was trying to hit from a hill. It, it's so funny seeing them compensate after the the first one in the water, like, oh, God, now I have to go way, way yeah, left yeah. on this next one. Just keep it on the green. And now you've got a 40-foot putt, you know, an undulating 40-footer. Uh, Never a lot of fun. 721, it's Ira on Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. Mike and Sean, we got you covered as well. Special guests coming on in just a moment. We do have Curtis already. Awesome. Curtis Williams is with us. He's a celebrity trainer, former Maryland defensive standout. Had some stints with the Ravens and Jets. Curtis, welcome into Ira on Sports. Hey, how you doing, guys? We're doing really well. One of my first questions, uh, you know, I was doing some research on the Combine. We were talking earlier. We, we, we want to talk to you about the Combine and a couple of other things. So I was doing some research on it, watching the older Combines, maybe, say, from the uh, early 90s, and reading, like, what some of the athletes said. And some of them were saying it was basically just you walk in and they literally kick the tires on you. They didn't do the bench press and stuff like that. They walk in, they squeeze your bicep. How, how fast is this guy? All right, we'll take him. And it's really evolved in the past 20 or 30 years. So do you want to tell us how you've seen the combine change uh, from an athlete's perspective and also a trainer? Uh, I mean, I think as, as time progressed, it got a lot more specific with the science and just the, the fact of how viable a lot of the, the performances are from these athletes. And obviously, I think uh, tying in the business side of it, understanding how much it weighs into a lot of these players' stocks, it's become like a lot more uh, popular and a lot more in-depth from like an evaluation side. So I think um, from a training standpoint, I think it's it's been to the point where everything's very specific from not just getting stronger at this point, but... Uh, developing and working on the mechanics of each each individual uh, event. So those that's the key thing to it now is is not just becoming stronger as an athlete, but also like being really technical with like a lot of the footwork drills and like explosive movements at this point. So Curtis, you, we were talking earlier about off the air about you when you were at University of Maryland. Um, you didn't you, were, you didn't have, really have an agent yet, people to know about you on your pro day. Just say what you did and what that, because people are, there's a lot of people doing the pro days, doing the combines and what they can actually accomplish by having these amazing combines and and give yourself as an example. Wow, man. Uh, When I came out of University of Maryland, I didn't intend on even preparing for the NFL. I thought I was going to get a job uh, (laughs) doing graphic design. 
but my strength coach encouraged me to to actually train. I mean, as a uh, University of Maryland athlete, I was I was fairly athletic, one of the most athletic receivers we had. It just I bounced around from a lot of different positions, so I didn't have enough film. Uh, uh, so true. the key component, yeah. So the key component to it all was me showing uh, my ability through these pro days. So uh, I performed pretty well. I, I ran a four three forty, jumped forty and a half inches vertical. So a lot of my stuff stood out. So the question was basically, um, where could these teams put me? Uh, not knowing that I had film, but my numbers actually helped me uh, get into the league. It's fascinating stuff. You know, one of the things for me, though, Curtis, and again, we're speaking with Curtis Williams, uh, celebrity trainer, former uh, Maryland standout, stints with, with the Ravens and Jets about the combine here on Iron Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. Curtis, you know, uh, obviously, ath- athletes and the way the business works better than most. I don't know how much stock to put in players' performances. For every Chris Johnson who had, you, you know, one or two good seasons and was amazing, you've got Tom Brady who looks like, uh, you know, a buffalo barreling down the, the sidelines and he becomes the GOAT. So how much stock do you personally put in the combine? Um, you know what? I, I feel that it's a balance of, of both on-the-field performance and, and then mm-hmm. a lot of times it'll actually help your stock if you're on the cusp as an athlete. Uh, where you may have gotten, you may have had a decent season, but then they can actually see your physical ability. But some people are just great football players. At the end of the day, they're not going to test that great. You know, they, they may not bench press two twenty five a million times, but they, they <laughs> for one have you know intellectual football knowledge, and they also know how to play the game, and they're just phenomenal at their position. So it, it depends on each individual circumstances. I, I feel. That you know, sometimes you may it may hurt your stock if if you yeah. perform really poorly, especially with not just the like the measurables for strength and performance, but just just think of receivers that you know they don't do that well with catching over their shoulder or like running mm-hmm. routes. Like, and and the thing is, those things are exposed more than it helps them. Do you think there's any? So that's a key thing. Do you think there's any position group that it, that the combine matters more? Obviously, like you know, where you, you talked about the receivers catching over their shoulder. I know when it comes to quarterback uh, cornerbacks, you know, the the one ball drill where it's you know them turning their hips. Is there any one position that really can dictate where a guy goes more than so another? I honestly feel like these are based off of just the events that. They they conduct. I think that the skill positions where they are like a cornerback, safety, receiver, running back. I think you can really show your your abilities more with these drills as opposed to like uh, defensive linemen or you know other positions. I think uh, just based off of the agility focus of a lot of these drills, I think that the skill positions probably would excel more with it. So Curtis, so for people who I mean aren't too familiar with the combine, what are the main uh, drills that they do that they look at, and which of those drills can actually, you, know, you being one of the top trainers in Los Angeles right now, um, uh, training Neo and a lot of ton of our and B celebrities, but what what you know are, most of them don't. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what which which drills do you think can can uh, can you help the most? Like, is there something that someone no one's going to start? I think I guess benching a lot. They probably benched in college, but is there a drill that if they do the right training for, they can actually increase their time by practicing for a couple months. Um, I, I think that, you know, and the NFL is a speed league. Uh, so anything where you could show how fast you can transition or even run linear speed, a lot of times that'll, yeah. that'll boost your stock as an athlete. 
So a lot of it is is like the 40, 40 yard dash where you're you know seeing they they actually measure your ten twenty thirty and forty yard uh, all combined. But you know obviously the the main focus is the forty yard dash. Um, the L drill is another great one because it not just you know sees it doesn't just evaluate how quick you are in space. It, it also evaluates how quick you can transition and and turn your hips and be able to get from point A to point B. So um, that's another great one. And I think. Um, you know, th- those are like the main two in regards to like the skill positions that I feel are like re- hold a lot of weight because they want to see that, you know, as a receiver, you can get up field and you can get from one, one point to, you know, as fast as possible. Um, and then the short shuttle, that's another one where I feel like, you know, depending on your position, if you're moving laterally, uh, a lot of times it, you know, that's where you run five, five yards and you transition mm-hmm. to 10 yards and you finish with five. Um, that's another one where I feel that. Um, you can really see how an athlete moves based off of how they can stop and start. That's a key thing to it all, yeah. especially mm-hmm. in the NFL. Everything's about how fast yeah. you can get from point A to B the uh, after you know you catch the ball. Yeah, exactly. I think that so, is so much more important so than just running. You know, the, yeah. the forty to me doesn't mean that much, Curtis. Uh, there's so many. Um, I mean, we have a call, uh, a call, a question for you actually coming up in just a moment, Curtis. The forty to me just doesn't seem that important. And now, it, you know, it used to be amazing when someone ran a four two. Now it seems like everybody runs sub four five. <laughs> is you know, is, is the forty yard? You know, it used to be the, the the measuring stick fifteen years ago. I feel like it's becoming blasé a little bit compared to some of the other agility drills. I don't. I don't know if I agree with that one. I, I feel like. Oh, I don't know of, anything. A lot, of, <laughs> a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of a lot of times, guys. There's a lot of eye openers based off of how fast they've run, and then yeah. just think of a lot of guys where I feel like coaches will, will find a spot on the team for for that type of speed. Yeah, of course. You know, if you're running a four two, I feel like it's impressive enough where whether you're even playing your position or just think of you know certain positions like a like returnmen that yeah. haven't you know yeah, haven't had phenomenal. Re- receiver careers, but they've been done really well at returning kicks because they're they're fast. Yeah, you can look at Devin and Hester. I mean, the guy the guy couldn't play corner. He couldn't play wide receiver. Yet he's going to go to the Hall of Fame as the best you know return man in the history of the league. So that's, you know, that's probably you, the perfect example. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't when he was at UM. You couldn't find a position for the guy. Was easy corner, easy wide receiver. Get the ball in his hands and let him score. That's, that's how we got it. Exactly. <laughs> we do have a question exactly. on the line. For, we have a question on the line for Curtis, and we would love to hear uh, from you as well. Eight seven seven nine six zero ninety nine sixty to jump in on Iron Sports. Beth has a question for Curtis. Beth, what's going on? Yeah, I've been listening and I've heard some coaches that say that they want to know after the at the combine how a guy is going to be a team player. They sort of check to see how they're getting along with the other guys. Is that true or not? Yeah, there's a there's a stint of uh, conversations between the coaches and players where they they see what kind of character these guys you know have, whether it's at the combine itself or um, they 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 talk amongst coaches. So if you've been a case in college, they're going to know about it. So that's a lot of the okay. important part is too. Is coaches coaches don't want to deal with headaches. A lot of times they may they they may deal with it for a little bit of time based off their ability, but you can tell that a lot of times you're in and out of the league if you're not. You know, not a team player. Yeah. You know, it's really funny that you say that. And Beth, thank you so much for the call. 877-960-9960. You know, Curtis, I, I was referring to the, the articles, articles I was reading earlier with some older athletes saying it was more of a job interview than a performance. They wanted to, well, first of oh, all, there was, no, there was no Google at the time. Have you had surgery? 
have you committed a felony? You can't just find this information. But yeah, they also wanted to see, how does this guy interact? Is he coachable? And that was almost as important as literally measuring how high he is and how big his biceps are. Absolutely. I mean, because you got to factor it in. The NFL is a business, and you're going to want to know who you're employing. And it's it's basically a background check on, you know, is the, is, are they criminals? Or, you know, mm-hmm. what kind of character do they have? Have they been... You know, have they been a team player in co- at the collegiate level? Um, you know, because the thing is, you're an investment. You're not necessarily just a, a, an individual playing football. They're investing a lot of money in you. A lot and of money. obviously, if, <laughs> if you're a trouble, you know, a trouble guy, what they call in the locker room, you're not going to be there very long or they're not going to, mm-hmm. you know, your stock's going to drop a lot of times. Curtis, what advice do you give? Uh, we all know, okay, the quarterbacks. I mean, we can go back to their days in high school. They, they grow up with a microphone in their face, okay? What do you what do you say to the guy that's, you know, the left guard or, you know, a cornerback or, you know, a linebacker where, you know, he's not interviewed all the time, you know, where he might not be as comfortable, you know, uh, going through those questions as, you know, let's say a quarterback because that's just kind of how they, they go through the process. That You know, they're the face of the, the team. You know, what advice do you give these young kids? kids that, you know, they excel on the field, they're good kids, but how do they get that message across, like, I'm the guy you need to draft? Um, to be honest, it's just about, you know, reminding themselves to just be themselves. Um, you know, obviously, you have to, there's a lot of pressure in being an athlete, and a lot of it comes down to just being comfortable um, within yourself and, and discussing, you know, obviously, if you have problems with, with talking or public speaking than utilizing resources to actually get practice or like there's certain individuals you can reach out to to, to actually practice like public speaking or like media training mm-hmm. and things like that yeah. um or just or just seeing you know talking to people that have done it you know talking to your quarterback and asking questions and, and trying to get a feel for you know what's what's the right thing to say versus like just saying anything you know i mean because the objective of an interview is to be informative but also you know maintain your integrity and have respect uh, Curtis, we were talking about Tiger Woods before uh, before you called in, and I guess if you could give a perspective, because you trained so many athletes, people coming back from injuries, what do you think the perspective of someone who has had four back surgeries, a back fusion surgery, and now performing, have 200,000 people cheering for him, uh, what's that like? What, how does he feel, and, and, and what's, that, you know, what's that feeling to have after years and you know, have three years of complete injuries and not being able to perform at all? You know, you know what? It, it's it's a priceless feeling because, for one, you know when you're when you reach an elite level, you you chase that feeling of just being at the top as long as possible. Especially someone like a Tiger, where he's been like phenomenal for such a long time. Mm-hmm. And then, as an athlete, being hindered by injury—that's probably the worst psychological feeling you can have because it's not about your ability; it's the fact that you just can't physically. Right. <laughs> it's not it's not your skills or, you know, your mental toughness. It's the fact that you just physically can't do or perform. So I I just know based off of that, like that it's just probably so phenomenal that he can you know, that he can even actually be at the elite level at which he's playing again. You know, because now I think the you know, getting the treatments and uh like the surgeries it's it's a lot more intricate than it used to be where guys can like blow a knee out and be just fine you know and i think mm-hmm. luckily it depends on each individual mm-hmm. so I- i'm sure he's just you know super excited about just being back to playing like himself 
735. It's Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean here as well. Chime in, 877-960-9960. You know, that's an excellent point you brought up, and it brought me to my next question. And this is really hard to tell, but you being a, you know, a celebrity trainer, you, you probably know this better than most. Carson Wentz, you know, they're saying now that this ACL tear might be worse than it was initially thought. He might have to wear a knee brace for the rest of his career. You've seen this injury, I'm sure, before. Do you think he comes back at 100% or close to it? And do you think he's ready for opening day? Um, You know what? It, it depends on the individual, honestly, because there's there's some times where the surgery is phenomenal and, and, and mentally you're just, not, you're just not there anymore. Yeah. Um, so it comes down to that and just honestly how your body responds to it. You know, physically. So it's hard for me to even to say, but I I just hope that it would it would be you know something that he's ready for. It, it's a, you know we talked about it on the show two weeks ago. Adrian Peterson tears an ACL, goes home, takes some Nyquil, shows up to practice the next day. <laughs> so it, it, it's totally different for everybody. Rub but some uh, rubber rubber tussin on it. Uh, Wentz, though, I, I don't know. Now that they're saying this, I'm getting a little worried. Um, Curtis, before I let you go, this has been so much fun. By the way, before I let you go, weird question: Do you think scouts are any good at their job? I mean, let's be serious. For every Peyton Manning, there's Ryan Leaf right behind him. How like I just don't get how you know talking about the combine and these guys going. Why do they miss so often? I'm sorry. <laughs> Can you repeat the, repeat the do, last do part? Do you think Do you think scouts are any good? Why do they miss so often? I mean, first a first round pick has like a fifty fifty chance of being a good NFL player. It's crazy. I I think they're pretty. I think they're pretty good. I just think a lot of it comes down to there's a lot more variables than just evaluating yeah. someone for a little bit of time. You have to really be, you have to really be on site and get to know these players on a regular basis. And a lot of times, you got to factor in a lot of great college, collegiate players just aren't cut out for the NFL. They're not pros. You know, there's a lot more that right. There's a lot more that goes into it than just X's and O's. A lot of it is just you know lifestyle changes and a lot of pressures that they may not be able to deal with. And it, it's beyond just you know, the fact that on paper they they have phenomenal stats and they can really perform, it, it comes down to a lot more than that. So, you know, I give I tip my hat to a lot of those scouts because you know, at least getting a lot of teams a shot to be successful, that you know, that's a lot of pressure in itself. But, you know, they seem to get it done pretty often. Not, not as often as they should, but pretty good amount. Curtis Williams is a celebrity trainer, trains Neo and all of uh, Ira's favorite R&B superstars, former Maryland standout, <laughs> to stint with the Ravens and the Jets as well. Um, before I let you go, Curtis, is there any way we can learn a little bit more about you, website, social media? Oh, yeah. I do a lot of uh, sports performance content on my Instagram. You can check all my videos. I do a lot of uh, fitness videos. You can see that at Curtis Williams 17 uh, on Instagram. Curtis, I want to thank you so much for stopping by. You're always welcome on Iron Sports. Uh, appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. We're going to have uh, our good buddy Mike Isolino popping by in just a minute to talk about what in the world is happening in the NCAA. Uh, but first, Ira, 29-21, Duke on top of Virginia Tech, 5-29 to go in the first. You feeling all right about this? Well, I, I think Duke, I think Bagley's been, a, a bit of, came back. They were playing well without Bagley. Now Huge he's back. Huge coming back. And uh, they're rolling. And I think Duke's going to win the title. Oh, <laughs> oh, man. Ira never modest. I love it. Sean, you, we saw some interesting stats when we were prepping for tonight's show. Duke really has been looking phenomenal. Well, one, well once they got him back, uh, you know, as Ira pointed out, their biggest thing, right? So they're top five in offense in every like statistical category. Top five in defense in the last five games in, uh, I think it was number three in total defense, point score. Efficiency number and one in defensive efficiency mm-hmm. and number four in defensive re- uh, rebounds per game. Uh, so that's been the biggest change that I've seen in Duke where, you know, they could 
could score a ton of points, but they were also giving up a ton of points. I think they were ranked number like 111 when we talked uh, two, three weeks ago um, about Duke. So um, getting him back and him really kind of being a force, you're, you're starting to see you know them play with some uh, tenacity. And it's, I mean, March Madness, Tourney's right around the corner, so no better time to start showing up on the defensive side of the ball. This is the time to start clicking. 739 Ira on Sports 95.9. True Oldies Channel, 877-960-9960 to chime in. Let's bring in our good buddy Mike Isolino, former NBA player, current coach at Robert Morris, NBA Jam Phenom. Mike, I'm sure your Twitter and Instagram just absolutely blew up after you were on Iron Sports two weeks ago. <laughs> and everyone wanted to know more about NBA Jam, right? <laughs> no doubt about it. It always does. <laughs> He's heating up. Back, guys. Um, yep. Ira, if we're not familiar, and a lot of people love sports, but don't like to get into the this weird political side of sports, tell us a little bit about what's going on in the NCAA right now. From the perspective, it actually started with the movie, um, two movies called Mafia the Movie and Resurrection. And a guy in Pittsburgh named Marty Blazer um, was a money manager for a lot of these athletes, and for a number of athletes like Greg Little, Dewan Blair. And he said, I want you guys to invest in our movies. And uh, uh, he said, he goes, I think it's a great investment. The player said, no, just stick to stocks and bonds. Let's not, we're not, I'm not into resurrection and mafia, the movie. Well, he took the money anyway and he got invested in the movie. And then when the players want their money back, he found the money somewhere else and, and started adding the money back and, and that running a Ponzi scheme. Finally, the FBI and the federal government found out about him and they went to him and they said, look, you've been running a Ponzi scheme. And unlike Madoff and everybody else, he says, but I know a lot about college basketball. And they're like, well, we're not interested in college basketball. They go, but I can tell you that what's going on in college basketball. And then they got an interest in that. (laughs) And it really started, and we're going to get into Mike in a second, but it really started because there was two avenues. One is that this money manager and other money managers and agents were paying assistant coaches and then assistant coaches were paying players to, when these players graduate, to send them to those agents and those money managers. So the money was coming from the money managers to the agents and the players. That's one aspect. And the other aspect is that shoe companies, specifically Adidas, were paying players to go to Adidas schools. Um, Louisville's an Adidas school. Louisville gets tens of millions of dollars from Adidas. They wanted star players to go to the Adidas school, so Adidas would pay the players to go there. And this guy, Marty Blazer, was sort of the lynch pin to link all the dots from all the players. And that's what we're seeing now. We saw Rick Pitino get in trouble with the, from the Louisville side earlier, and now we're seeing Sean Miller at Arizona. Sean Miller, Arizona's a Nike school, but this is because of the agents and the connections mm-hmm. between the agents and getting agents to get, send them money to go to different teams. Mike is a, a coach at Robert Morris, and uh, NCAA. Mike, what can we do to prevent this? I mean, you think it, it's happening on a, a more wide-scale uh, spectrum than we're, than we're knowing? Well, I think one of the things is that things that are going on and things that have come out right now, you know, um, a lot of it is just allegedly happened. Um, Good point. You know, that's, it, it, it's, it's alleged this happened, alleged that happened, you know, uh, the Sean Miller situation right now, you know, he's still saying that uh, he's going to be vindicated. Um, and nobody's really heard the tape uh, except for, you know, an ESPN reporter that came out and said this is what was on it, but I haven't seen any evidence, you know, that it was produced and, and nobody's heard the tape. Uh, I think if it comes out and it's on there, thing, obviously that's a problem. Um, you know, I think people like to speculate a lot of what's going on, uh, but I don't know if anybody really knows for sure exactly what's going on in this situation. And, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, rumors run rampant and uh, can get out of control. Uh, I'm not saying that it's not going on. But uh, I 
it wouldn't be sitting here saying that this is the norm for all the coaches for all the schools because I don't believe that uh, one bit. Well, that's a good that's a good follow up, Mike. In terms of, I mean, there is three hundred and forty Division One schools. Um, the players that are going there are just generally, you know, they're looking for an education. They're looking maybe to go to Europe to play those things, and and coaches are selling them on why they should go to the school and play for the coach and go to the go to the team. Um, in terms of your recruiting, I mean, like what what do you what is the main decision maker for a player to go to a certain school? What is what's what's the what's the pitch points to get players to go to schools? Well, I, I think, you know, there's there's a couple of different things. Obviously, I think uh, people want to play, kids want to play for winning programs uh, that have tradition and, and year in and year out win. And, uh, you know, the allure of playing in the NCAA tournament uh, for these guys is, is great because it's such a, you know, such very popular on TV and, um, you know, all that. I think that's that's a selling point that you have a winning tradition program. I think teams that you know, nowadays with all the different TV stations, playing on TV is important yeah. because kids will go further away from home now. Uh, but you can also sell the, the the family on, hey, you're going to be on TV every single night. Uh, some some teams, you know, like uh, when I was at one school at Kinesis, we we had to sign the package for with uh, ESPN three. Every one of our games was on ESPN three. You know, it's a great selling Dude, point. It's great selling um, point. You know, so you have things like that. You know, Robert Morse right now. We're in the process of building a new $51 million arena. Uh, you know, we have alumni and president that's committed to sports, and you got that type of type of building and facilities. You know, people get excited about that, and we signed a new seven-year deal with Under Armour um, that is the exclusive apparel company of our school, so they take great care of us. You know, that's something that you get kids excited about. Um, you know, so there's different ways. I think, you know, people like the fact that uh, – you know, we have a great young head coach who's very energetic and helps him get better. Um, you know, we have a staff that, you know, most of the guys have played professionally or at a high level in college. Um, you know, so I think all those things are selling points, especially at the mid-major level. Um, I guess one of the big questions they're talking about right now, Mike, is the one-and-done rule. And people are, it's sort of come on total fire. I mean, that's every one thing is talking about. And what's your opinion about uh, the one-and-done? And, and is it good for basketball? Is it good to have these kids in? I mean, you were you played in the NBA, so you got to show your ability in college. Is it What about the idea that the NBA doesn't want to be going to high school gyms like you do and run around and, and try to look at high school players in, in, in the middle of nowhere? Um, they'd rather have one year of college that they can evaluate these players well i mean i don't think there's ever going to be a perfect system uh but i've never been in favor of the one and done um for nba people to say they don't want to go sit in the high school gym yet they'll go to somewhere over in the ukraine or lithuania <laughs> or somewhere else to evaluate KP. i mean come on you know what i mean uh so you know with the prep schools you can go up there and see a lot of pros yeah. um but it, i mean i just think Again, there's not going to be a perfect system. I've never been in favor of a one-and-done because I don't think it serves college basketball. Um, I'm not sure it serves uh, you know, a student-athlete for one year. Are they, are they really going to school? Are they really getting the benefits of college one year? Um, you know, I think there's some maturity through that process, but I'm not sure how much. Um, you know, I would like to see a better, if anything, I would like to see a continuous um, you know, a better farm system like through the NBDL yeah. where guys can actually make some money and work on their craft if that's what they're going to do. Um, you know, obviously there's going to be situations where guys come out and think they're better than they are and, and they don't get drafted and it doesn't work out, but that's, that's everything in life. Yeah. 
you know, in Maine, sometimes you go and uh, you go and you get a great college education and you don't get a great job throughout, to, you know, right away. So it's a process, and not everybody who gets a college degree walks away with the $100,000 job all the time. Hey, Coach, uh, in terms of, you know, with the scandal coming out and you know, we're talking about what, what can we do to fix it, I want to hear what your thoughts are on the AAU you know, program and all these these basketball camps, ABC, uh, you know, the, the ABC Adidas camp, you got the Nike camp, you know, everybody seems to have a camp now, you know, and with AAU kind of being this, you know, it, it's grown into this monster. Um, uh, do, you, do you think the way AAU and all these big, uh, um, I guess, tournaments and camps are held, do you think that plays into any of what we're seeing now when we get into, you know, the, the college ranks with, the, with these scandals? Do you think it, any of that kind of ties together? Yeah, I think 100%. Um, you know, you're, you have different events where people are going to be in contact with high school players who they feel like are going to be pros in a year. Um, or, and, you know, there's obviously a lot of money involved in that. Um, the shoe, shoe companies understand that. Um, so, you know, being at those events obviously provides uh, another opportunity for them to talk to these kids and be involved with these kids and get to know them on a personal level and, uh, you know, kind of get what they call it in with them, you know, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're going after him so yeah. young, and that's and that's what we talked about. I was like, well, how do we fix it? And I was like, well, I kind of look at, you know, the AAU system, you know. Are there NCAA, um, you know, people there monitoring this? Or, you know, are they are they going that far down to, to look at it, you know, from, like, the grassroots perspective and, and saying, hey, I mean, some of these kids, I mean, you know their name. By the time they're in eighth, ninth grade, some of these kids are being recruited. And I can only imagine, you know, where, you know, some of these kids are coming from inner cities where, you know, the parents are, you know, looking for any type of handout, you know, how, how do you, how do you fix a system that seems like it, it's just so deep, you know, where it's like, you know, how do, how do we solve this? It's just, it seems like AAU also plays into it. And that's just why I wanted to get your take on it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of, one of the, one of the issues, like, I don't think you're ever going to solve it and correct it. It's like uh, wall street, you know, um, you know, the FCC or yeah. whatever, FTC, uh, the federal trade commission, you know, they monitor it all the time, yeah. but it still goes on. Yeah, if there's a will, uh, so there's a way. Never gonna totally, yeah, you're never going to totally find a, a solution when you're talking millions of dollars of course. Uh, to that. There's never going to be a solution. But there has to be some answers to how we can improve the system yeah. and, and how we're moving it forward to the benefit of everybody, to the benefit of the student-athletes, of course. to the benefit of the college coaches. Uh, you know, I, I think that... Um, the AU system it, it has its benefits, mm-hmm. uh, especially you know for us to evaluate players. Uh, I think it has the benefits of having young people compete that at a higher level. Uh, all that I think I think there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, so how can we improve the system is, is the most important thing. And, I, and to be honest with you, it's probably way above my pay grade. <laughs> well, we just want to thank you, uh, Mike, and, and wish you luck. I think you play Wednesday night at Mount St. Mary's in the first round of the Northeast Conference Tournament. So you win three games and you're in the big dance. So that's it comes down to this, and this is the most crucial time of the year. So I know you have to get back to work and to do some scouts and, and get ready for this big game for you, and good luck to, on Wednesday. No, I appreciate it. And, you know, I think that's what makes uh, – I think that's what makes college basketball so so much fun is uh you know at the end of the day you know you still have the conference tournament to play in these three games you have something to get excited about 
whether you're in uh, you know first place or eighth place, mm-hmm. you're in our conference tournament. Only the bottom two are out, and, and it's like a whole new season. You win three games. And you get to go the dance, so it's a lot of fun. <laughs> good luck, Coach. Yeah, good luck. I'm Mike Isolino, former NBA player, current coach at Robert Morris. You're always welcome here on Iron Sports, and we're definitely going to be picking your brain come tournament time. 751 Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean, we got you covered as well. Uh, before we move on, it, it's such a weird thing. There maybe are some, you know, I love the idea of youth academies like they do in Europe for, for, for sports, soccer, and basketball. When you're 13... If we think you're going to be a professional athlete, you're coming to our camp, and we're just going to work with you for five years. You're basically a professional, and I'm sure your family's being compensated something for them basically stealing you. Um, I, I heard an interesting quote about this, the one-and-done thing earlier today, though. Uh, the late Rick Majerus, uh, excellent uh, NCAA coach, <coughs> said he got into a situation where one of his players' um, relatives had passed away. And he, the kid was obviously totally distraught. He was about to leave to go home. He took the kid to lunch to just to like talk to him, to be a father figure, and got in trouble for that. And I understand that it's rules are rules, but I think it's a, is that a little ridiculous, Ira, that coaches can't take their players to lunch? Well, I think, yeah, those minor infractions are bad. I mean, I think the comment about with allegedly what they're saying about Sean Miller and some of the other coaches, it's like, we all know that there's these street agents. We all know there's something going on under the ground. We just don't want the coaches involved. And if it's, uh, and, and when the coaches get involved, um, it's also that movie blue chips is just a, a must watch for yeah, anybody yeah. at this time of year. Mm-hmm. I mean, they should be airing that all the time. Yeah, no. And, and it, it, it's, it, it's gotten to a point. I don't know if anybody saw this, but it, it was like, like a brief clip Auburn. Uh, they were just playing a game the other night and a fan, uh, like threw $5 at them, you know, because they're, they're one of the teams named that potentially could be something. Mm-hmm. So the coach Pearl took the five dollars and reported it to the to to the NCAA <laughs> to say, "Hey, we don't accept these types of uh, a bribe bets." So like it's it's and it was kind of like sticking it to the to the NCAA. But literally, if that player picked it up, put it in his pocket, potentially he could have got Crazy. fined. He literally could have got fined. You know, <laughs> well the school could have. Ridiculous. Uh, before we get into our bold predictions, <laughs> also Ira did have another stop over the weekend. We'll get to that in just a second. There was a winner at the Honda Classic over the weekend. It was just. And Thomas, um, this guy's good. Eight wins under the age of 25. Only two golfers have ever done that before. You might know them, Tiger Woods and Jordan Spieth. Um, well, let's talk about the strange thing with the fan in just a second, Ira. But Justin Thomas, I mean, is this, we thought jo- Jordan Spieth was the next big thing two years ago. Still a very good golfer, but I haven't heard his name much. What are you thinking about Justin Thomas? Well, Justin Thomas is great for the Honda. The Honda has some great names because Rory lives here, Justin lives here, uh, Tiger lives here, um, uh, Daniel Berger lives here, Schwartzel Westwood Fowler. across the street. I mean, yeah. you've got a lot of big names that are right around here playing. So the tournament has some good in the future. Uh, considering where where the tournament had a lot of quote no names and the fact that Fowler was out in the first, I mean, he played plus seven in the first uh, day, he was sort of out of yeah. the tournament. Uh, it was great that you at least had at the leaderboard a name that was competing there. Um, I followed him. I, fought, I walked Tiger home to 18, and then I went back and watched them on 16, and they both, he and uh, uh, List had uh, about 10-foot putt, par for putts for birdie, both missed. Then mm-hmm. they went to 17, almost hit the ball in the exact same spot, go to 18, and that's where uh, Thomas laid up and then hit that amazing shot from the fairway mm-hmm. uh, to send it to send it to the playoff, and then they went in to win it a hole in the playoff. But no, he's a tremendous player and, and, and great name, and, and, and and has a PGA Tour major championship win, so he's ready to go. 
uh, Ira, you you know, I wanted to talk about fan interactions. Justin Thomas had something come up uh, the other day. He's being heckled, and we talked about how everyone roots for Tiger Woods. Well, everyone doesn't root for not Tiger Woods, and sometimes <laughs> these guys <laughs> these guys get heckled. And he said, you know, this guy was a problem. I forget what he was saying. I hope your ball goes in the water. He was screaming at him before the before the thing. Justin Thomas has him thrown out. I'm perfectly fine with this. Did you see anything like this, Ira? And what's your take on Justin Thomas? You think he's out of the? You think he's out of place for doing that? I disagree with you because it was after he said it, and and, and he said, "I hope your ball goes in water uh, in the, the, the sand trap," and you can hear it on tape. And I I was surprised that Justin made a big deal about it and yeah. threw the guy out because it, it's like now you're gone. First of all, he didn't swear, didn't say anything. He just said, "I hope your ball goes in the sand trap." But it was after the shot, unlike in Tiger's case when Tiger was actually swinging. Now, when you're on 17, it's so loud. People are talking. They're laughing. Yeah. They're they're it's doing everything. But on that case, I I think that Justin. I think it was a mistake, and he, it's going to now encourage more he, fans to yeah, do. It showed he, that he got upset exactly. about that. Yeah, he also came out and apologized and said, "I shouldn't have done it. I lost my cool. Just you know, emotions got the better of him." So he's he's already come out and made a, a, a formal apology. I'm interested to see what Justin Thomas does. Have his people maybe reach out to that fan, do some form, you know? Whatever. Oh, I'm whatever. not reaching what, out. To what, the whatever. Guy. Come I'm, just, on. I'm just saying. I mean, he's already come out and said like he really feels like upset by it. This is a know? PR move. He, this isn't even him writing these tweets. This is his his camp. Come on. Listen, the guy won the tournament. He's obviously dialed in. If someone's bothering him and yelling stuff at you, he's got every right to do that. Maybe you don't want to be that fan, but don't be heckling people at, at their job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, I forget who, I think it was uh, Spieth like two months ago, uh, someone was saying, you know, he was getting heckled and he, he ended up missing the cut. Now, he, they said he was kind of dejected at that point. Well, you just cost him a lot of money for missing that cut. Yeah. You know, he just doesn't want to even play anymore. Maybe I am going to hit the ball in the water, whatever. <laughs> you, know, and, you know, as a golfer, you should have more mental fortitude than that. But it's still, it's your job. I don't want to be dealing with that. Ira, you did something this weekend that the pictures were amazing. You were at the, uh, the Delray... Was it the Delray Open uh, right here in our backyard? This is like a little hidden gem in Palm Beach County, isn't it? Well, I think it's going to be great next year, too, because the rumor is, and that's what everybody talked about, the Honda, and I'm not saying anything that's not been talked about on the internet and, and what PJ has talked about, is moving the schedule. Next year's PJ Tour schedule is going to be completely different. They're moving the PGA really? Championship up, uh, the Players' Championship up, and they're going to leave August for the uh, um, the series of FedEx Cup events. Mm-hmm. Um, the Honda, though, might move back a week. And if the Honda moves back a week to the first week of March, then the Del Rey tournament would have no competition. It would actually be right before baseball starts and mm. more people could go to it. It's a really good tournament and it was so easy to drive down to Del Rey. It took me like 15, 20 minutes. You park your car in the stadium within 10 minutes and it was amazing. And there's a lot of good, someone who loves tennis like I do, you got to see, I got to see two really good young Americans play and uh, uh, I saw one night, I saw Ryan Apelke uh, play. He's 6'11". He's the tallest tennis player ever. Six eleven is massive, and uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he and it was it was uh, it was amazing to see how he was a great serve and very young. He's from the area also, and he played uh, um, Jack Sock, who's the top ranked American. And it's interesting because the the title, the top ranked American, used to carry something: McEnroe, yeah. Connors, Sampras, Sampras, and Agassi. If I say who the top ranked American is now, no, no one idea. knows. It's no. Jack Sock. Is but, does Andy uh, Reddick still play? Andy Roddick is still playing. Is he still playing? But it means something. <laughs> He's it really, Shields or whatever. And it really hasn't <laughs> meant any. It's almost like one well, of those WWE titles. It yeah. doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. So, it, and it really would be. And Jack Sock has it, but he's never done anything in any majors. Has I think advanced more than two rounds in a major championship. But he somehow wins these small tournaments, gets ranking points. He's ranked eighth in the world. And Opelki played great against him. Yeah. He played really well. He was a really nice player. And that. 
that was really good. And then I went Saturday night after watching with Tiger to see uh, TFO, Francis TFO play, who's mm-hmm. 20, another 20 year old player. And he played a young guy from Canada and won it and actually won the tournament. And he's phenomenal. Yeah. Like this, I think Opelki's going to be a nice player. TFO could be like ranked number one in the world like five years from yeah. now. Like that's how talented he is. I, are you implying that the intercontinental belt in the WWE <laughs> is not important anymore? Come on, man. All right, let's get into it. Bold predictions. Sean LaGrega gets big props. First one to hit a bold prediction said Boom. Marcus Peters would get traded. You were right. Um, I like the Rams now a lot more. Uh, Sean, <laughs> bold prediction for the week ahead. Well, I'm going to go against Ira's bold prediction last week and say the Oklahoma Sooners do make the tourney back in somehow, find a way. Uh, big win over Kansas State. They got um, Baylor tomorrow, uh, and then they, they finish on Saturday against uh, Iowa State Cyclones. So, Two winnable games. Trey Young looks like he's back. Um, it's still not even a dunk shot that if they win both those games, in, <laughs> they need a lot of help. But I, I think with Trey Young, I mean, we got to find a way to get this guy in the tournament because he's that exciting. Ira, what about you? Bold prediction for the week ahead. Wow, that's a, this is a tough one this week. Give me six of them. <laughs> <laughs> I got time. Oh, I don't know. Um I think we're. I, I, I sense a signing. You know, it's like. Don't you feel like AJ McCarron? Yeah, but it, doesn't it feel like it's drips and drabs at the yeah. NFL? It really it's crazy. like one thing happens, and it's like. We all right, to talk how about Lavian Bell gets signed? Ooh. You know they're talking about the Giants as a as a landing spot. I think signed by the Steelers, not by the Giants. I'm just saying, well, I'm just just throwing it out there because that would ease the issues of them not taking Barkley. You sign Le'Veon Bell. Now we, there's no question about you know you can leave Barkley on the board. There's uh, a way they structure his contract. They might have to wait. The only reason it wouldn't work, but it's it's a little complicated how they want to structure. But they if, could sign him now. If but, you're not going to give OBJ a hundred million, you're not giving it to Le'Veon Bell. I, I don't I'm think they give him a hundred. Yeah, there's, there's no way. I mean, it's a very good point. There's, there's no there's way. About potential <laughs> landing spots, yeah. and you, you know Le'Veon Bell. You think he doesn't want to play in New York City? Come on. Like, oh, I, I think I think he maybe. I don't them think a he's a New York Giants type of character. But isn't it funny that like Blake Bortles? This week, you know, that was the big. It was. Are you kidding? It's me? just well, every every. It's like the NFL doesn't. The NFL is definitely fifty two weeks a year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is not <laughs> one day. Yeah. There isn't one day out of the year, three hundred sixty five days, that there's not something that is like major in the NFL. You guys are it. sending back the text. We're in a group text, everybody out there, and they're talking about the Honda, and I'm just breaking NFL news left and right. <laughs> it, it, it's crazy. Yeah, if you're a fan of the Minnesota Vikings, you only play sixteen games a year most years because they usually stink. You could still follow them every week. There's still something going on every week. Whereas in other sports, it's just not like that. Yeah. I wore a, a Steeler hat for the Honda for five days I was out there. Uh-huh. I cannot tell you how many people were Steeler fans. Everybody seemed to be out of the Honda was a Steeler fan. Their popularity here is amazing. And I saw other people with Steeler hats also. And it's like, I'm telling you, a Steelers, I think, own South Florida. <laughs> no, they, they, <laughs> they, they really do as, as far they as that goes. More well, than the Dolphins even, even. Ira, so... You must have been going stir crazy staying in South Florida for an entire week. What are you doing this week? Um, I'll be in California. I might see a Clipper. The Clippers play the Rockets on Wednesday night. Ooh, and I game. might see that game because I want to see. Houston is totally on fire right now. They are playing amazing. They got Ariza back who was injured. Um, they signed Joe Johnson who is a great guy off the bench. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, they're gunning for Golden State. Everyone keeps saying, oh, Golden State's unbeatable. You can't beat them. You can't beat them. I think Houston, I think Houston believes they can beat Golden yeah. State. Oh, you know, that's, but that's the only thing that's going to get me back into basketball yeah. is seeing Golden State or Cleveland not in the finals. Houston's going to the finals. I'm telling 
telling you right now. I mean, the beard is for <laughs> real. We are We've out of time. about this. <laughs> We're out of time. I want to thank our friends, uh, Curtis William. C- Curtis Williams, also Mike Isolino, so much for stopping by. On behalf of Sean LaGrega and Mike Balsamo, he's Ira. This is Ira on Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. Let's talk next Monday night.